Episode 12 with Kaz Coronel of Conscious Explorers. Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast with me, Kim McCall. The premise underpinning discussions on this podcast is that life extends beyond the physical dimension, that death is not the end of life, that we're all connected energetically with each other, both in the physical dimension and across dimensions, and that there is a purpose to our life that involves growth, healing, and assistance to each other. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness, help you connect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matters, I have a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, do your own research, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by the Finnish fusion artist Axel Kessler. The song is called Reincarnation. My guest today is a London-based DJ, Kaz Coronel. Kaz is not your average nightclub DJ. She has headlined many exclusive events for celebrities, performed at the Wimbledon finals, headlined the London Gay Pride Street Party, and had many amazing gigs both in the UK and all across the world. And we do talk a bit about the role of music in her life and how that relates to her deeper passion for understanding and expressing consciousness. Because of course that is the area Kaz is here to talk about. I have known her online for some years as the founder of a Facebook group called Conscious Explorers. And I knew that she had a broad interest in all things consciousness, health and well-being. I did not appreciate, however, the extensive out-of-body experience background that she herself brings, nor the intensity of her life struggles that drive her passion for healing and self-exploration. And I expect you will be as moved by some of her stories as I was. We start the conversation with Kaz describing the role of out-of-body exploration in her life. And I found it interesting to compare her story with that of Gordon Finn from episode 10 of this podcast, when he talked about having been trained to maintain his awareness and lucidity while out of the body by extra-physical helpers. In Kaz's case, she had a period of very intense out-of-body travel, which seemed to be spontaneous, but at some stage, quite abruptly, was brought to an end uh, with the awareness or some kind of communication that now it was time for her to focus on her physical life. And so there was quite a strong sense that this was induced again by the extra physical helpers. And her account really mirrored my own experience of having an intense period that came to an end when it really felt like it was time to, to get on with physical life for a while. And both Gordon and Kaz's stories really made me wonder about how much control we actually have about out-of-body travel and how much we do still rely on the extra-physical helpers to explore extra-physical dimensions. So there is a lot of great information in this episode and I hope you enjoy it. 
been having OBEs since I was a kid and they were really terrifying for me because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have anyone to speak to. I wasn't trying to have out-of-body experiences. I was just finding myself floating around the house in what really did feel like RTZ, is that what they call it, real-time zone, which okay. is basically the physical reality rather than some kind some, of counterpart or yeah, astral. Or, yeah, yeah. so like in your parents, in, in, your, in your childhood yeah. home, basically, floating around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'd see them sleeping. I think I even saw them having sex once, you know, shit that you don't want to see mm. <laughs> um, and wasn't looking for. Um, and I was really, really scared. And um, I remember... That, well, I mean, I'm going on a tangent here to the bit that I was going to say, but when I was when I ha- first had my, so when I was really little, I would feel like the bed had grown, and I was like, "Why is the bed grown? And why is my face to the ceiling?" Yeah. You know, and then I would get this weird up and down thing happening, and um, you know, I, I tried to make sense of it with, with all kinds of imaginations. So, so you felt like you were going up and down. Yeah, yeah, like the bed's growing, the bed's shrinking, the bed's growing. Like, what is mm. going on? You know, and it was weird. It wasn't like dream stuff. It was a different texture, a different feel. You know, it's it's different. It's just mm. different. It's not yeah. like a dream. And, um, you know, I didn't even have the language to talk about it. Um, and when, I, when we moved to a house, uh, when I was seven years old, the one of the first nights I was there I came out of body I went into my parents room I saw them sleeping there I was so scared and I came back into my body and it was with such a jolt that it threw me across the bed I went flying to the other side of the room and my dad and mum came running into the room now my mum both of my parents never speak about anything esoteric they were very strict in their religion and they would just dismiss everything but in my shock because they was like what 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 happened I said I flew out of body and I would never even said that normally Mm. it was because I was so disorientated I said I flew out of body and I came back and then my dad was like don't do that again and then it was like I was like oh my god my dad just acknowledged that this is a thing (laughs) I was like and that was even I don't know if that was even worse you know he's like just don't do that again it's it's very bad you could get dis- dislocated and not come back again and you know it's it, it will make you um let me say it would make it will it will make me kind of um dissociated and and I that I shouldn't be doing that and he said oh it happens to young girls sometimes okay it's just the weirdest thing but like anyway anyway it was years and years and years of of um really having quite traumatic experiences not having things like and, you know, and traumatic when, traumatic because you had no context is that right and you were like by yourself you're alone what was traumatic about them well different things i mean one one of the things that, so yes i was alone it was weird it wasn't i wasn't coming out of body thinking this is great i was like what is going on and these were in the days before the internet and you know being able to talk to people about it and then later on, I did start kind of reading some books about it and saw that it was a thing. Um, but when I was about 16, I got what could be called as other entities trying to enter my body. And there's many ways of, um, you know, uh, 
interpreting what might have happened. But the experience was that different entities tried to jump in my body and tried to take it over. And I was really, I mean, that was just the most frightening thing. And that made me go to a psychiatrist mm. to, you know, to stop it. But what I should say was that I was very unhappy. I was extremely unhappy. Um, I had a difficult childhood and lots of things were going on and I, I wasn't in a good place. So anyway, if you're doing that kind of stuff and you're in that kind of very negative energy, then the kind of experiences that you might manifest, you know, are going to be a different kettle of fish. And, and I've always been you're vulnerable. I mean, it's like, it's like a physical person, right? If you're, if you're vulnerable physically, you're, you're um, depressed, you're, you're not very clear, you know, you're vulnerable to physical intruders, yeah. people that take advantage of you. And it's no different, is it? Um, exactly that. Physical. I've always been like, not wanting to talk about it too much because I don't want people to start being worried that that's something that's going to happen because it can't happen unless you, and this is what I learned, it won't happen. Nothing bad will happen unless you allow it ultimately. Um, but if you are if you are very depressed and not really wanting to be there anyway, then of course you're basically saying, you know, I, I, I want to get out of this world. Then, you know, it becomes a different experience. But I, I very rarely speak about it mm. because, um, you know, I just, it, I, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Um, but in some ways by speaking about it, I guess I feel it can help, you know, you can help. It's important to have these conversations because lots of us struggle. Lots of people struggle. And, yeah, um, that's true. Uh, and then it kind of perhaps normalizes. Um, I mean, I went through a phase much as you describe, you know, where I, I, I was hearing, uh, so I was feeling very unhappy in myself and I was um, uh, hearing all these voices in my head that were, I was thinking I was going crazy, you know, that mm. were um, very nasty and, and so on. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand, you know, if, if this happened now, I would, I would know, you know, that these are actually nasty people you know that are there that are kind of um harassing me i suppose so then you can support other you know if you see other people struggling with that you know you can you can support support that's them. very true and and i think you know one of the times that i did open up about it i don't know if you saw that video of mine that was a response to the um the nightmare documentary no um uh, so the nightmare documentary is a documentary about sleep paralysis and it's people talking about how their lives have been completely ruined by it. Like they've had, um, you know, things like experiences of demonic beings and, you know, all the kind of nightmare side of sleep paralysis. So there, so and, just to explain maybe sleep paralysis, basically you're lying in bed, you kind of wake up, but you can't move your body at all. So you're lying there consciously feeling out of control and, as you say, often, often hearing or, or feeling or, know, or perceiving some kind of threatening presence around you, right? Yes, I think this, perhaps the scientific explanation, which I suppose maybe is also a bit vague, but the, the best explanation of it is that when you sleep, your body goes into a light paralysis to stop you acting out your dreams. And for people who don't have that mechanism, they might find themselves sleepwalking or in extreme cases, you know, attacking their partner in bed because they're living out what they're seeing. So it's just a sort of 
helpful evolutionary thing. Um, but sometimes you can become conscious in that, um, you know, whilst your body's still in that state. And because the left brain has, has gone offline, the right brain then sort of hallucinates what is happening because there are noises going on, for example, outside. And normally when you're awake, you would be like, oh, you know, that's the car or that's a car or that's wind or whatever. But because the left brain isn't there, it can't rationalize. So one of the common hallucinations is that something's pressing on your chest um, because you've got a blanket on or a, a duvet or something like that. So there's a weight on you. Um, and so, you know, it's this, it can be very, very terrifying. Obviously, another explanation could be that there are beings there that you you are picking up on and you're just in a particular state. And actually, in my response to the nightmare, um, I wanted to present different possible interpretations of what was going on. So I was, you know, I was saying, well, you know, it it could be that because you're in a negative state, because you're in a state of fear, it, it's just amplifying everything and you are then, you know, hallucinating all these dark and horrible things. Or it could be because you're in a state of fear, you are in a, a position of vulnerability and you are attracting, you know, some dark entities. Either way, the bottom line is that it doesn't matter because the only thing you have to do is transform that state of fear. And very simply, one of the things that you can do is just go into gratitude. Uh, this is what I, I found with sleep paralysis before anyone was telling me what, what to do with it because um, it was also very traumatic for me. And I just would start reeling off things that I'm grateful for. So when you do that, your energy just changes completely. You know, you're suddenly you're in a much positive state and actually in the it's, gratitude is quite similar to love you know you're so thankful for all these amazing things and those dark experiences would just they slip away and what I wanted to do in that video was explain to these people that this thing that had traumatized their them their whole life was actually one of the biggest gifts that they could ever imagine if only they knew how to use it because sleep paralysis is the most wonderful gateway to the out-of-body experience you know it's it's a very easy way to to have an out of body experience, uh, and if you're naturally predisposed to to having it, then it's an amazing gift. Yeah. So maybe let's just talk about that because you you've you talked about how uh, out of body experiences are really traumatic for you in the beginning, and now you're you know emphasizing what a great gift they are. So maybe just talk about how that how that shift happened for you from. from yes. So actually, this gets back to the point that I was going to make earlier. Um, so, I mean, to give you a little background of what happened, uh, I moved into a uh, disused school. We weren't squatters. We were guardians of the building. And there was about 20 of us there. And my neighbour, uh, who was in the classroom next to me, asked me if I would like to go to a um, Buddhist talk on lucid dreaming. So I knew at this age, you know, I, was, I think, I don't know, it was in two, 2010 or 2009, sometime like that. I knew much more <laughs> about lucid dreaming and, and uh, out-of-body experience, but I'd sort of lumped them in the same category as things that I wanted to avoid and that were bad. And, um, and when he said the Buddhists were giving a talk on it, I really got my attention because I thought oh the Buddhists are amazing people you know they're full of kindness and compassion if they're doing this kind of thing you know I've sort of put it as a dark art you know not, don't mess with it like black magic yeah. um 
even though I'd had some amazing lucid dreams, but still I was scared of it, you know. And anyway, so he was like, come along. So I went along and then I learned that the Buddhists use lucid dreaming as a sort of way to, well, basically what they're doing is that their belief is that you want to stay conscious during the dying process. Because if you can do that, you can direct where you go and you won't be suddenly shocked and confused and lost you know you can imagine that if you if you're walking down the street and you suddenly get hit by a car and you're not expecting to die just like what the hell's going on you know you're there with all your beliefs and all your hopes and all your sense of self and everything and suddenly boom it's over so they said dying is very very confusing Perhaps less so if you're 95 and you're expecting it to happen any day. For a few years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what they really want you to do is to train to stay conscious um, when that process happens. And sleeping is like a training for that because it's it's like a little mini death that happens every night. Um, So to stay conscious throughout the whole night is is very very tricky. because obviously you want the body to sleep and the body can sleep. You can go completely to sleep and stay conscious throughout the whole night, but that's hard. So one of the ways to sort of enter this practice is lucid dreaming, because that's a little bit of that. You become conscious in the dream and, um, you know, you can maintain consciousness for a certain part. And then, you know, they sort of lured people in with all the fun things you can do in lucid dreaming. The, the Buddhists did. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, Charlie Morley would probably shout at me now, but I kind of get that's what's going on. I mean, obviously there are loads of fun things you could do in lucid dreams. You can go and fly and have sex with everyone you want and this, that, and another. But I don't think the Buddhists care for you to do that. Really what they'd like you to do is meditate and stay conscious and present um but that's probably not so appealing so you know that it's almost like the first bit is yeah get conscious have fun (laughs) and then you know now we can practice and that you know you don't for the buddhist practice you don't need to be lucid dreaming at all you could go into conscious um you could be conscious all through the night without having any sort of dream narrative happening so that was my first sort of um entry really into seeing like okay lucid dreaming is a a great thing and then I started from that exploring um you know people who were teaching out of body experiences and getting their take on that and also seeing that the Buddhists even though they didn't really teach about it this particular lineage whose name I will never get right so I'm not going to attempt it (laughs) but um there are four lineages main lineages and this particular one did use out-of-body experiences but only at a very very high level but they were still using it so I was like okay so maybe it's not this evil thing that I thought it was and it just this knowledge I suppose that it was okay just opened this floodgate of experiences like it was amazing once once I realized that there's nothing to fear but fear itself suddenly I was doing things like so I had previously gone out the house before, but only just very reluctantly and with absolute terror. Yeah. Now I was boldly like going out the house. <laughs> I was, you know, I'd get out of my body, I'd get in my, out my room and I'm like, right, I'm going on an adventure, you know, and, and 
interesting things. The interesting thing about that is as soon as that happened, so my energy shifted and I was in a, in a completely different energy. I was excited. I was happy. And what would happen then is that I would shift into these um, astral planes, if you like. Um, different dimensions. Yes. It's always very difficult, this conversation, because the, the conversation of how to explain the different kind of out-of-body experiences that one can have. And, you know, I remember there was a, there's a Facebook group of people who have out-of-body experiences. We once tried to categorize it, you know, a, a sort of unified categorization of the different types of out-of-body experiences. And it it's very hard to put into words. But it in very simplistic terms, um, when I was in a very low energy, I felt like I was always on the physical plane. And the higher my energy got, it's like I got into different planes. And I don't really like the um, description of levels like this, but because we live in this kind of, you know, 3D world, it's, I don't really know how else to articulate it. But it feels to me that you have the physical plane and then you have what some people describe and I describe it as the energetic duplicate. I think some people call it the etheric plane where it looks like the physical plane, but it's slightly different. There's yeah. just one, there's always a clue. There's yeah. a clue that it's not the physical plane. Your room is perfectly tidy, but there's a sock on the floor. You know, it's not there. That's the only way I know sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm not on the physical because I know that sock is not there. Some, I don't know who's doing this. Who's doing it. Who's putting the clue there. Am I? Uh, that's another big question. But the point is that there's a clue. And from there, um, the next one is the, the astral worlds, which, again, that word astral is filled with dogma and, and theosophical and, like, all kinds of theories that I don't necessarily want to bring in using that word. But people who go out of body will know what the astral is, and the astral... It's different. You know, it's not the physical plane. It's very colourful. Uh, I find the colours are very strong primary colours and everything's bigger. Everything's just big <laughs> in an expansive way. Um, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. And it seems to me that everything has its astral counterpart. So there's an astral counterpart of my school, of my ha old house, of different countries, you know, I, I always recognize it. Like, oh, this is the astral version of my school, my old school, for example. Do you um, meet people? Do you meet people um, when you're in those places? Yes, yes. And obviously on the astral one, you can meet all kinds of interesting looking characters that aren't, you know, I, I remember once interacting a lot with this guy who had a bird head, you know, much like the Egyptian yes. gods. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously everything's much more flexible there and the lucid dream space. So another way to get into the astral plane is from the lucid dream space, um, that this, there's like a Venn diagram crossover. And that's always another point of difficult conversation, how to explain that. Um, but if I'm in a lucid dream, I can make a decision that I'd like to be say in the astral version of my house and then find myself there. And I have had some, like, proof, if you like, that I can get some data that's valid 
from a place that I've never been to before. It's usually a bit wrong, but there's enough there to, for me to go, okay, I'm, I'm picking something up. So I'll give you an example. Um, there was a guy, I think his name was Arturio or something like that. Can't quite remember his name, but he was on a Facebook forum and he did not believe in the external validity of um, out-of-body experiences or astral projection or anything like that. So he put a test. He was like, right, well, if it's real, someone come to my house and tell me what the photo is on my wall. And I said, I'll do it. Because in those days, um, I just was having out-of-body experiences like I could go to the shop. Like they were so easy for me, mm-hmm. which, which is my point that I must get back to, don't let me forget, <laughs> about the period of time of when yes. I just had the most magnificent out-of-body experiences. So anyway, um, I was like, yeah, I'll come tonight. You know, it was that easy. And he was like, okay, great. And it was a huge discussion. I just remember there was loads of people on that thread. So was this in your your Facebook group, Conscious Explorers? It wasn't mine. No, it wasn't Conscious Explorers. It was Astral Projectors, I think. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. But all the usual suspects were there. (laughs) So they probably remember it. You know, Jürgen was there and... I think Helen was there and there was all kinds of, you know, weird and wonderful people there. Um, so I was like, okay, uh, I'll come tonight. And he, I said, where's your house? Uh, and he gave me the address. <laughs> so I went to his house and I knew that I hadn't got there physically. And um, I, I will just say that I came up with this theory that it's, it's easier to be on the physical plane when your energy is very, very low because it's dense and I think it's incredibly hard to get on the physical when you're not super depressed and dissociated, which is why mm. I think not many people are able to prove things on it. If your energy is higher, you just don't, you don't I haven't around. nailed it. You don't stick around. I've, I found it. I did do it. I, I did do it um, once and again in 2011, but I found it very hard. Anyway, so I went to his house on the astral level and uh, I came back and I reported what I saw. And I reported that the the walls, the colour of the room was a certain colour. I think this is correct. Um, and also I said, it's not a photo, it's a drawing. And um, there's a, a thin brown frame around it. Um, and I described it, um, you know, in quite a lot of detail. And I said, it's a picture of a house. It's a hand-drawn picture of a house. I said, you tricked, you tricked me saying it was a photo. Um, so what happened was he, he said, right, okay. So the room was not the color, the walls was not the color that I thought, but it had been, it had been in the past. Right. Also the picture, it was a hand drawn picture. It did have the thin frame, but it was a picture of him having an out of body experience because he'd had them, he had had them all his life, but he had categorized them all as hallucinations. Right. So he, he could have them, but he just didn't believe in it, it being an external phenomenon. I think that's anyway. quite common. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So obviously I failed from a scientific point of view to nail what it was. But I remember the whole discussion, probably find it there if you searched long enough. Um, I remember somebody like Jürgen saying, well, you picked up you know, you could say that the house is like a body because it houses you. Um, 
you picked up elements of it. You know, I, I got that it was a drawing. That was yeah. a pretty good hit. The frame. The frame. Yeah. So in my heart, I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm happy with that. You know, it wasn't, I, and Jürgen explained something similar that he'd done some, uh, he, he told me a story where I think he saw post-it notes. I, I, I should just, I should that. maybe just, just mention, explain for people listening. Jürgen is, is Jürgen Ziva, who is the author yes. of Multidimensional Man and a number of other excellent books on the. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> he's, he's, yes, he is amazing. Um, yeah, sorry, I should explain when I'm talking about people. Okay. Um, yeah, so he described something similar in his, uh, you know, of picking up bits of information but not getting the whole thing, which, by the way, does not prove that you are having an external experience. There's, there's still many other theories. It could be telepathic. Um, yeah. Remote viewing. Remote viewing. Yeah, the, I mean, it's a, it's a great example because there really has been, there's a real shortage of, of what we would classify as hard science proves. I think the only one I really know is still Charles Tart's 1960s study. I don't know if you remember that one of, of a woman who, who accurately recorded a five-digit number, I think it was. Yes. Apart, apart from that, you know, I've heard quite a few different accounts similar to yours where people get bits, you know, that almost uh close or, or so on but um well graham nichols has had a few pretty remarkable hits um he saw the soho bombing in um in compton's i think a week before it happened and he spoke to uh, a whole class of people telling them what he saw and then a week later it happened a bombing right. which you can't get more accurate That's than that. Precognitive, and he had that as a as an out of body. It was an out of body experience. It was an out of body experience, yeah. yeah. And he's had other ones of that. So, I mean, I without doubt believe that you can have precognitive experiences. I've had quite a few myself, and um, I've seen enough evidence to know that it's a thing. It's not always spot on which there's many theories about why that might be too. Yeah. I think Anthony Peake, another incredible writer of 11 books, um, would say that we've lived those lives before and then perhaps we're picking up uh, details because we've suddenly found ourselves maybe on a similar timeline to, to a previous life oh. and that's why we're able to gather that data. I was actually just on a thread where he was commenting and uh, about this was about deja vu experiences and saying there was something like 73 different theories about <laughs> it. So <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I love um, it though. <laughs> I, I, I would like to, I would like to um, kind of, Go back to so come back around. You, you were talking yes. about that that period of time. Yes, yes, so I mean, yes, I, I'm yes. I'm curious. I'm curious to hear. You know how whether you use OBEs now and how they happen for you now. But but you did sort of imply that there was this period where it was especially intense. Yes. So there was a time. So when I found my freedom with it, and I found just pure joy and happiness, it was like a door was open, and a lot of the time. I would get pulled. I'd just get pulled. That I mean, that's the best way of explaining it, as if someone had grabbed me from my hair in a nice way and literally pulled me out of body. 
Um, and I would just put in the request, you know, I'd like, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. And it was effortless. And when I would come back, I could, I could open my eyes and then go to the toilet, go and have a conversation with someone, come back, boom, I'm out again. In fact, I was telling Anthony this story just the other day. There was one time, okay, so there's a, there was a city that I used to visit all the time called Zeri. And I just called it my astral city. I just loved it there so much. I just felt pure joy. Um, they spoke Hebrew there. They didn't speak it out loud. Everything was telepathic. However, there were places where they did have out loud speaking because it was part of the atmosphere. And one of those places was a marketplace. So you would hear all the voices. And, um, and there were signs, obviously, as there would be in any city, and the signs were in Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew, um, but my dad is a, of a Sephardic Jewish lineage and he did speak Hebrew, but I have never learned it. And I literally, I, it's so vivid, it was so clear in my mind that I could remember, I could remember the word, you know, like I have a terrible memory, but with those experiences, they were clear as as if they were happening there in my mind. And so I could look up the word and I was like, oh, that means stadium, you know, in, in Hebrew, that's crazy. Um, and one time I went to Zeri and I met this lady and she came and I was in love with her. She was totally not my type in real life, but I just felt this absolute love and, and affinity with her. And in a, in a weird way, it wasn't even sexual, it was it was just on another level. Anyway, she came back to me to, she came back with me to my room <laughs> and I was just like, I've got to get up. I've got to go and do something. I, and you know, I'll, I'll be back in about 10 minutes. And I, I got up and went and did some things and I came back, closed my eyes immediately. You were back no, there. she was there lying in bed next to me immediately. No, no trying techniques, nothing. She was there. And then I was like, should we go back to Zeri? And we went back to Zeri. And, you know, I was just, oh, I was buzzing with this. And I, I, I thought, I thought, oh, everybody can do this. Everyone can do this. I, I just need to tell people, you just need to, you just need to believe it. You just need to, you know, program your subconscious mind. You just tell it and it will happen. And, you know, that happened for, about a year or so and I used to write up my experiences and talk about it a lot I was very 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 vocal about it um and then one day I was told you need to go and sort out your life your actual life um and and this door is going to be closed it's not going to be like shut but we're not going to help you anymore and and we're not you know it, it's time for you to do that and also I was also told that I needed to um, change the direction of my group, which at the time was completely focused. So my group's Conscious Explorers. So you already which, started that. You'd started that by then already. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I started Conscious Explorers. Um, I mean, con Conscious Explorers was an idea that came to me, um, just to give you a little backstory, but I won't get too lost on that tangent, but... Um, when I started finding out how wonderful out-of-body experiences and all this stuff could be, it came to me very strongly, you must start a group. And I had a massive phobia of public speaking then, and I really, really, really didn't want to start a group. And I had this whole argument in my head for a long time. Like, you know, it was, the voice was saying, 
you must do meetups, you must teach about this, you must talk about it. And I was like, oh no, you know, even the idea of speaking in front of one person terrified me. I was really, really scared. But it it would not leave me alone. And uh, in the end, I was like, okay. (laughs) And um, it's funny because I'd been trying to find the name for an album with my friend. We'd been agonizing over a name for about two months. And I was like, well, what am I going to call it? And it came immediately, Conscious Explorers. I was like, "Mm, okay, fine. I did it. And so then I did start teaching. I did start putting up on meetups. And, you know, little by little, first two people, then three. And, you know, obviously I got more confident at it. And so the group was very, very focused on out-of-body experience, lucid dreaming, um, just consciousness, basically. Yeah. At the same time that my, going back to this other story, that this door was coming to a close I was mm. told focus conscious explorers on things to do with in in the real world oh, no, I'm not going to use the real yeah, world the physical like, physical life the waking right? world physical life yeah let's call it yeah waking reality I, I feel more comfortable with um and they and it and it said things like you know health uh well-being um sustainable living um even things like cutting edge science just stuff that will enrich people's life in the in the waking mm. physical reality. Mm. Um, not to stop the consciousness stuff or the lucid dreaming of the out of body stuff. Just don't make it the whole focus. And that's is what happened. Like the group, the group content became much broader as as it is. I mean, I don't know how long you've been in it, and if you noticed that shift, uh, if you were there from the start, you definitely have noticed it. Um, I don't remember to be honest. I've been it's been ye- some years, you know, but I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what happened, and um, and I did start focusing on my life, um, and actually not straight away. And I had a lot of things to sort out, a lot of things to sort out, which I'm only just sort of wrapping up. The end of that sorting out has been. I mean, it shocks me to think that it's been about eight years of sorting things out. Mm. Is that correct? I need to just double check those. I need to double check that because that doesn't even seem right. Um, Maybe I've got my dates wrong. It seems mental that it's been that long. But anyway, however long it's been, it's just coming to a place where I've sorted out the things that I needed to sort out. And it's come to me again that I can go back more into this out of body stuff and the lucid dreaming stuff so to answer your question of before of like i i i did continue to have out-of-body experiences i did continue to have lucid dreams but they were normal (laughs) um i might just pop out and be in my room for a little bit or you know had they they were just they were ordinary in a way Mm. they weren't the ones i had before they were felt like they were through the whole night, you know, yeah. they were hours long. Yeah. And they were in a clarity that was more vivid than waking life, far more vivid. You know, it just, this, it really did and spin my whole ideas of reality because I was like, this is, this is nothing compared to that, you know. And we use vividness as a sort of marker of what's yeah. real. We think, um, so do you think there was a risk of um, maybe, sort of alienating yourself a bit from your physical life that you were so focused on on the extra physical yes yes and people like to say that there isn't a risk <laughs> people like to say oh, i won't take it but 
yes, I I was happy out there and I wasn't mm. happy here. Yeah. I wasn't happy here. Um, also, I had no physical problems out there. I was free. You know, my body was like a superhuman because you, you can see as far. And, yeah, yeah, you can hear things in clarity. You can see as far as, well, It's I don't know if it's infinite, but you can see incredibly far. You can zoom in and see atoms. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible. Here, I had a whole bunch of big, big problems. And, um, and sometimes I would come back. I had a partner at the time. Uh, and I was, it was so mind blowing. You know, I, I wake up next to her and I, I, it's been like, I'd, it, it was like I'd been taken away by aliens, gone and experienced this whole other world and then been deposited back. And I, I just would be like gobsmacked. You know, I'd be, I just, you, you cannot believe what I've just been through, you know. And it's very and, hard to share with another person if they're not, um, if they're not experiencing the same thing, right? It's kind of meaningless. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And she wasn't experiencing the same kind of thing. But one day, uh, I, I don't know if I manipulated the situation. I probably did. I implanted some sort of suggestions and words. And actually, she did have an experience. And I'm very grateful that she did have that experience because, it, you know, it, it opened her mind to... I mean, she was always very... Um, courteous about it if you like you know she she wouldn't sort of outwardly judge me or say anything bad but you know you just wonder like what what is going you know when you tell people this you think they're not they're, they're politely going oh wow that sounds interesting but you're thinking in the back of their head they're thinking I'm completely mad um or mm -hmm. that I'm or worse that I'm lying um but yeah yeah. yeah, it was it was uh, it was something absolutely extraordinary. And oh, the other thing I would say is that sometimes I came back and it was like I didn't quite come back pro properly. And at the time, I was doing some courses at the um, IAC, the International Academy of Consciousness, and they said um, they said that can happen, and 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 it does. It again, like my dad's warning. You know, I was completely spaced out for the whole day. Yeah. I just yeah. was not there. Um, it didn't happen all the time. Sometimes I would come back and I'd feel invigorated, you know, just buzzing, you know, from this experience. But, um, yeah, I, that door was that help. No one ever pulled me again. That pulling feeling never happened again after that. And Zeri, it's like I dreamt about it sometimes and I had lucid dreams about it and I had a couple experiences that felt like a, sort of drunken version of it hard to explain but they were blurry and weird yeah. and short very short but i've tried and tried and tried to, to get back there in that massive clarity in that in that same way and no one's helping me and so yeah i i realized that they were right anyway <laughs> but it's they time, time whoever to focus on something else right now yeah yeah, because we're here for, well, I say we're here for a reason. I'd like to think we're here for a reason. Well, I was going to ask you about <laughs> that. Do you, have a, do you have a sense? I mean, I, I, one of my questions for you was going to be, like the fact that you started the group and that you, you, know, you started those meetups, it does give, uh, gives a sense that you have a sort of a feeling of purpose, right? There's a purpose to your life. There's a reason why you're here. Um, yes. I mean, okay, on the one hand, I have a very strong sense of the things that I 
feel to do, if that makes sense. I don't want to use the word should, but it, it seems very clear, actually. It used to, it used to traumatise me, literally, because there were so many things. There were so many things I felt I should do uh, or wanted to do or felt like the right thing to do. And I thought, I used to be like, no, you can't do all these things. Like, it's, it's not possible. And I used to stop it. And weirdly, one day, another tangent, sorry, I went to a book launch of a guy called David McCready who wrote a book called... I think it's called You Are Not Here and it's got a picture of the earth and he points at it and it's a, he has out-of-body experiences. And I walked into the room, listened to his talk and afterwards he, he, he talked a lot about spirit guides. Afterwards he came up to me and he said, you have got so many spirit guides, they are all pulling you in a whole load of different directions. And my sister was with me and she just burst out laughing because she was like, that's so true. <laughs> She's always been doing like a million things. So I don't know if that's uh, if that's the case or not. But going back to to the conscious, um, go back to the question. Um, I, I eventually thought, never mind that I'm being pulled in all these directions. Just do them. Just do them all. Do it. You know. Uh, so I, I started doing them, <laughs> and I do have a very strong sense of what those things are. Um, so that that is true. So in answer to the question, do we have a purpose? It's a bit of a tricky one because at some level, I feel like this place is a bit of a game. Um, and I was thinking about this earlier. A lot of people say we're here to learn. And I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate. Um, if you were playing a game, there would be things that you should learn and things that you would learn in the game because that's how you get better at it. And I think that's true. But I think we're fundamentally here to experience. That's really what it's about. And certainly, yeah, we will learn things to make our experience more favourable to us. Um, but actually, that's kind of the view I take now, and which is quite against a lot of people's views that, that, you know, they look at it much more seriously. And obviously people are suffering and awful, awful things are happening. However, if you think about a a nightmare if you're having a nightmare you know you can really be in absolute hell but you wake up eventually and it's okay you know it, that was just a nightmare and I kind of think that might be going on here I think it's probably quite a controversial view and a lot of people will not like it but various things have led me to believe that and actually when the Buddhists say I think the Dalai Lama said, you know, the, one of the worst things you can do is take life too seriously. I think that sort of sums it up in a way. You know, we're here to it's, it's enjoy. Like a, I mean, when you say it's like a dream, I'm sure that's plenty of people have said that, right? And for some, it's, yeah. some it's a nightmare. Yes. So not, not a very pleasant dream. Yeah. Is that, is that sort of what you're... Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely been a nightmare for me a lot of the time. 50% of the time it's been a massive nightmare and 50% of the time it's been an incredible dream. But mm. certainly there's a lot of experiencing going on. But does greater consciousness need to learn anything? Mm, I don't think so. It's creating. It's creating. That's what's happening. Creating is just going off everywhere. Is there some, you know, deep thing that we need to learn not really because we already know 
I think, you know, when you learn something like that, you it resonates because you're like, I know that's truth. That's how you know truth. You, you just know it. You, you know when you hear it. So when you say greater consciousness, are you, are you suggesting is your sense that we are all part of some greater consciousness? Yes, I think um, an analogy that I like is that we're all cells in a body. Um, so, you know, when you think about it like that, this little cell on the end of my finger is just as relevant as this little cell here. And they are unique and individual. And they're having completely different experiences and doing completely different things. And yet they make up me. <laughs> so where am I? Which, you know? which cell are you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm this collective. Another wonderful analogy for me personally is how I feel about um, a crowd. When I DJ, the crowd is individuals, all different. You know, and especially if I'm doing some sort of party where they haven't come specifically for that kind of music. So they're all different individuals with different tastes and different whatever. But at some point, if I do my job well, they will become cohesive and yes. they will become a crowd. And the way I then respond to the crowd is, is almost like a new entity. It's magical when it happens. It's absolute magic. And it, I think it's like, like this, you know, which bit is the sea? Another analogy, yeah. is it that little bit there or that bit there, but yet we call it, you know, the Atlantic yeah, Ocean. Yeah. Well, I'd like to go back to that DJ analogy because I did actually want to ask you about your music um, and how it, because I feel there must be a strong link between that expression of yours and your your interest in consciousness. And I actually, um, uh, that it's interesting, you know, you feel that as the DJ, the crowd coming as one, but I also think that, that's one of the things that we as individuals, uh, you know, individual entities really enjoy and thrive is being at a party that, or at a dance party that turns into an event where you feel like you're just all one, you know, flowing yeah. together with the, with, the, with the music. It's a very connecting experience. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. Like, so, so how does that for you, yeah, just maybe talk a bit about that. How do you feel you're, something's coming through you quite strongly. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's finding expression in music. So maybe talk a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about on a biological perspective is mirror neurons. And so, you know, you can dance on your own and that's great. Like moving the body we were designed to move and things get trapped if you don't move. So just being able to freely move yourself is one of the most healing things you can do anyway. And music gives, it gives your overactive mind or not yours particularly, but one's overactive mind an ability to latch onto something so that it can actually just let go, you know, and, and, and the emotions can, can follow it. Um, and that's fabulous. That's a fabulous thing to do that you can do on your own. But when you come together with a group of people and you do that collectively, you, you're in a resonance, you know, and these mirror neurons fire together um, and it connects. And to me, that's, I mean, it, it makes me want to cry when I think about it. I just, it's the most beautiful, um, there's nothing better, <laughs> I think, than, you know, dancing with a, with a group of people in, you know, listening to something that you absolutely love and moving yourself freely. This is why I think things like five rhythms 
are absolutely incredible super healing kind of um, so do you know what's, what that is no no what's yeah you might not have that so here we have um a few types of um of this sort of thing it's called five rhythms ecstatic dance there's some other ones and it's basically creating a space where um people are really encouraged to move their bodies very freely so expressively as you want in a way that you couldn't necessarily do at a club because one you don't have so much room and two you're probably going to be self-conscious but, but, is, but it here, is it a communal event or is it a yeah, or, yeah yeah it's a communal event so like you know a whole load of people come and um and they play the five rhythms specifically plays five different types of um, um stars of music so one's very kind of peaceful i don't even know what they are <laughs> one's chaotic i can't remember the others but there's a journey of um different styles and I, I it took me ages to go to one you know i was very resistant i was like oh i don't really feel like expressive dancing you know i felt really shy even though that was my whole career you know which is ridiculous but when i did go i was like wow this is absolutely incredible because you're sort of encouraged into it and before you know it you you do free yourself and it's literally so healing and you're not you're not looking at anyone else and you're not even necessarily dancing with anyone else but yet you feel them there you feel their their freedom and their expression and you buzz off that for sure you you pick up off the energy you know like when you're dancing or you're maybe not so much in the mood but you're kind of bobbing along and then suddenly this like really hyper dancer just pops up near you and he starts dancing at you really kind of excitedly and you 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 feed off it you yeah, feed it off that energy yeah yeah it liberates you and it's it's just ah, oh, it's magical i just um it, it's just yeah i don't know how to put it into words and oh, it's lovely. To, to, to dj is such a it's such a gift you know i feel so honored and, and 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 privileged to um be able to do that you know to to sort of um i suppose it's in a way like a, sh a shaman would um would sort of lead a journey that you're going on it's a very personal journey that you're going on say if you were to take ayahuasca or something like that it's very personal it's going on inside you and but they're gently kind of guiding the way uh with it to, to sort of open up this path and i suppose djing is is like that and mm. and it and there's such communication that's what i love about it you know always when i start djing you know i'm always a bit like you know i have to get into it it doesn't happen straight away i need a few <laughs> songs to sort of write okay even just simple things like like yesterday i was djing and one of the decks the decks went off immediately like just three seconds before i was about to start and because i use two sorry, I what, does, have what two. does that mean the deck oh sorry <laughs> i've got cdjs uh cdjs that um i put my usb sticks in and i can use them to to, to dj and and one of them just it just went off i don't know if there was a power cut or something right. made it go off. um and you know that doesn't usually happen but but my point being it they fixed it it was fine but the point is that you know there's always a few minutes of like is all my equipment going to work you of know course. is everything yeah, there's yeah, always yeah. that so it's, that you're that performing happens. you're like a performing artist i mean you are a performing yeah. artist yeah 
I guess so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so it takes a little while, but then there comes a point where you can actually start, you know, interacting with the crowd. You know, you, you, you're, you're looking at each other and you're feeling each other. In fact, it's, it's quite magical. There's been times where I, there was a time where I was DJing to in Brighton pride, uh, to a huge street party and something went wrong and they had to move me into a room, a room that was so far away from the crowd. I couldn't see or even hear them. So I, I, they were still broadcasting my music to them, but I couldn't hear them. But I, I felt like I could feel them, even without seeing or hearing them. I, I could feel it. I don't know if I was imagining it, but, you know, I was getting text through going, <laughs> doing an amazing job. So hopefully I was getting it right. Well, um, I mean, you, you can feel energy, I guess, right? I mean, with all the work that you do, that would be a, an experience that would be part of it, feeling energy of people and crowds and, and feel how the vibe goes up and down. And Yeah, I, yeah, I imagine, exactly. I imagine you can feel sometimes if um, there's like a certain amount of drugs or something in the space and that would influence the vibe. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And I have to say that, you know, my favorite parties, some of my favorite parties, um, you know, are the conscious raves where no one's on anything. They're totally drug and alcohol free. I mean, the energy at those parties is usually superb, always superb. And um, people are so up for dancing, you know, they don't need anything. They're, you, they usually do go to a lot of these kind of uh, five rhythm classes. So they're quite happy to just be expressive and they're just absolutely amazing. But you know what? I've gone to really dark, dingy, total drug raves and they're, and I've enjoyed them too. They're just on a very different level. Um, and yeah, you have to work with it. You, you, you do, you feel it. And then you, you know, respond accordingly to, to what's going on. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's, I suppose, yeah, it's kind of a, an alchemy in a way. Music is, is a drug in itself. And, you know, it's amazing what, it's amazing how you can change an atmosphere or turn it. You know, there's been times where I've thought, oh, I could drop this tune. Um, but it's going to create a riot. Like this, this crowd is very, very hyper. They're all, you know, in a, even in a fun way, but there's a lot of energy. It's getting a little bit aggressive. If I drop this tune, they're all going to go mad, you know, and, and, and I'm like, no, let's not take it in that direction. So you can, you can change way. the vibe. You can change the, you know, you take, yeah, take the crowd yeah. in another direction. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, I suppose it is, you know, it's feeling that and just knowing when it's got too high because it does get too high. You know, you can only keep going up for so long and then you get exhausted. So then you have to bring it down. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is energy work, I suppose. That, that's an accurate way of looking at it. Mm. But it's a co-creation. You know, it's absolutely, uh, you know, <laughs> everybody makes it and everyone has an equal part to play in it. So, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's teamwork. But, yeah, yeah, there's a point There's a point where we're like, right, we're one now, we're, we're together on this. And the people that might not even like that kind of music are now involved because they feel that. They feel that, you know, cohesive energy. I mean, music is so extremely powerful and, and it's why, you know, it was a big thing, you know, for, for, for people like Hitler, for example, knew the power of music and just, 
using it to stir a massive emotion because it is it does it 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 connects people and it stirs people so you know you can use it in for good and for bad but certainly it's um it's powerful it's powerful yeah and even if you can't hear it it's powerful you know i've dj for there was a place where a lot of deaf people used to come where i used to dj um because it was a gay place and they said they felt they felt less judged there that was that's why they said they came i don't even know if they were gay themselves i don't think they were um but they would you know they would dance just as much because they can feel the they mm, could feel the rhythm feel the and the and the just the energy of the other people so yeah don't, you don't even have to hear it yeah yeah it's very, yeah. very magical very, stuff absolutely yeah now i'd like to um talk a bit about uh, sort of the broad topic of healing. I know yes. that's been something that's been really, really big for you. Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned, and I can't remember where I picked this up. I watched various of your videos. I read some of your, your, your content online. But you, you talked about this loop-busting therapy that you've developed, mm. and that came about, conquering as you describe it a 17-year battle with extreme bipolar depression mm. which sounds what you kind of alluded to before about nightmarish aspects to your life yes um, yes and then somehow you worked through that and came up created this this tool that really helped you and and other people from what i see about it online yeah so yeah maybe can you talk a bit about um, you know, how, how does bipolar depression manifest? Um, and then how did you tackle that? Yeah, so I had something that was unusual in that um, bipolar, there's different types, but usually the classic one is that you're depressed for maybe a couple of months and then you're fine for, say, four months and then you're totally depressed for two months. What I had was uh, I would go from suicidal to euphoric every three quarters of a day. And it'd uh, be interesting to see if I, did I say 17 years? Gosh, that must have been when I started the loop busting thing. To be honest, the battle has continued until like, I'm still, I've still been battling up till recently with that. It has much improved. And I think, I think I've cracked it. Um, but it, it was, the most extreme hell because it's just this up and down at such a rapid pace mm. to, to be absolutely I'm going to end my life now it's all over and then you know just a few hours later to be like I feel like I've figured out the whole of everything I feel euphoria and enlightenment and then for that to flip you know it's just just that cycling process is extremely exhausting um, and actually that has had a knock-on effect because it's been um, very, very difficult for my body. You know that that sort of up and down is is uh, it burns out your adrenal uh, glands and your um, you know it, it's caused me to have chronic fatigue at points because also living that kind of lifestyle and what what sort of biologically was occurring was that I was not. Um, I was not able to regulate serotonin, dopamine, or nor adrenaline. So they would just fly from one extreme to the other. Um, and 
DJing came as an absolute blessing because I couldn't hold down any job at all, <laughs> just just useless. But what would happen was if I was in what I call the coma state, which would happen, you know, when I was getting into that low and I just can't move, I just um, no energy, nothing. Mm. The only thing that would could pull me out of that was something that required a lot of adrenaline. Like I needed a lot of adrenaline. So I could feel suicidal and like, okay, it's over. I can't do anything. And then it would be, you know, five minutes before I'd have to leave the house to get to the gig. I'd suddenly think, oh my God, if you do not turn up, you're going to let down, you know, a thousand people. Uh, And it's a special event for them. Like get up, go. And then, you know, that bush of, of adrenaline would pull me out of that state, no matter when I was in it. And I would just, fly as fast as I can to my gig and then when I was there I would find myself in almost just total presence because I it's just a kind of I'm in a kind of catastrophe because usually I'm you know I just haven't planned for anything (laughs) because I just thought my life was going to be over earlier and then I would be there and just I have to deal with the situation now and suddenly then all my chemicals have just gone boom and you know i would do the gig and um you know i'd be on a high after that briefly uh, and then that would crash um and but at least i could do that job <laughs> i could do djing because because of that what well, i probably could have done any job as long as it had very high adrenaline stakes like if yeah. i had to be a what was the other job i thought i could probably do um like a negotiator, you know, when, when like, so there's been a kidnapping <laughs> or anything in crisis, you know, basically that would, that would be something that I could handle because I need, I needed that level of uh, adrenaline to do that. But um, that is a hellish, 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 hellish way to live. And there's a lot going on. I, I, this is a long conversation and I, I don't know what depth to go into it, but I can now see that these patterns were created from like childhood stuff, the way I was brought up and their strategies. It was a strategy for various coping mechanisms as all these kind of things always are. Um, and one of the things that I learned with the loop busting. So I, I had, again, it was around that same time when I was having the OBEs that I was liberated from some of this, um, I was going to ask you whether that did, did that help? Did that somehow shift that dynamic? It did at the time, but this is why it's interesting because once that door was closed, I was then I was back with my Come problems. Back to that. Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting why I wrote that and I did that and I need to look look back into that because that battle didn't end there. It, I thought it did, but what I did discover was that I would you know, I had so much therapy. I've had so many different kinds of therapies you wouldn't believe to try and find the answer to this, this craziness. And um, what I learned was that in therapy, a lot, a lot of the therapies that I went to, you're just talking about your story again and again and again and again and again. In fact, you can intellectually know your story so well, and yet you haven't got to the root of no, the problem. Because it's not in the story so much. It's not- no, there's a reason why, at the bottom line, there's a reason why your subconscious has set up this problem or this um, this issue. And it's usually because it's trying to protect you from something. So 
you're fizzing around talking about stories it's just leaving you on one level your subconscious has still got this nailed like you know there's a reason it's doing it and it's doing it for your own good it's just it's no longer for your own good maybe once upon a time it was so you've got to get to that reason um so that you can let it go is is, is the bottom line and with loop busting i discovered a way of it's kind of like cross-examining someone if, if you put someone on the stand at a, a court case, you listen to their story and then you'll say, well, hang on a second. That, that doesn't add up with this bit of your story. So that will always be the case because the story isn't really the reason. So there'll always be holes in the plot of the story. It's just that the person saying it can't hear those, those uh, holes. So you can say to them, well, this doesn't add up. You know, you've said this, but that's not true. You know, there, there are statements that people use, like um, beliefs that they, they sort of hold, like, well, you know, men can't be trusted. They might say something like that, for example. Apologies to use that example. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just came into my head. Um, they might say, you know, I'm never going to find someone I could be with because, you know, I, if I, at the end of the day, you know, men can't be trusted. So that's, that's an all damning belief it's like well that's not true is it you know that might be the case of all the men that you've experienced in your life but that that is not universally true so but if you tell someone that they're not going to they're not going to hear it because they're in a trance they they have been hypnotized by their story so what i found was that by asking questions that they answered and not pointing out i'm not telling them anything i'm saying okay You've given me your story, so you said this. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Right, let's talk some more. We talk some more. And then I say, well, hang on a second. Earlier you said this, and now you're saying that. Uh, which, what's, which one's true? Because they can't both be true. And then they're like, there's nothing they can say because they said it. They're the ones that said it. So they're like, oh, hang on a second. Something's ro wrong. And you can see their brains start to kind of, freak out a bit because they realize that it doesn't add up so then they have to give you more explanations if you keep doing that repeatedly the story breaks down it just so is this something apart. you did with yourself like when you say they um i mean i'm almost having this impression that it's the conversation you're having with yourself and you've got this i don't know if you see it right this way, but I, I see i see as it's having you know a number of different parts that constitute our psychological world and right, it's manifests in different ways, and you kind of have is that kind of you're having these conversations with yourself, or no? So, when I'm using this example, so I'm using it when someone would come to me with a story and as a, as a loop buster. In reality, to do this with yourself is extremely hard because you've told yourself a story, like I told myself the story I will never be able to public speak because I had all kinds of reasons. Um, you know. I was brought up in a strange religion where we couldn't express our emotions. And so the idea of trying to talk to a group of people was the most terrifying thing ever. So that would be my story. I can't, I can't public speak because of this, you know, so that, so if I then try and find the holes in my own plot of why that's not correct, I, I'm not going to be able to do it because my subconscious is operating, you know. So you need someone external, safe. someone external to kind of pick the. I think you do. Um, I think you do. And yeah, so yes, yeah, so I'm talking about it from that perspective. Um, 
I'm trying to think how I came across this. And so did you, did you have that, did, did you do that work with someone? Someone did that kind of work with you and that, that helped? Um, well, yes. I'll tell you what happened. Part of what happened was that I did a NLP course and um, so, someone very generously gave me an NLP course. And a lot of, do you know what NLP is? Neuro-linguistic programming. programming. Yep. Yeah. A lot of what they taught, I wasn't a great fan of. I, I didn't really like it. But what they said about beliefs and, you know, how they're running. We have scripts that run us, basically. Did really resonate. And I sort of took that and adapted it. And I thought, you know, what? I need to get, be- I need to get beyond the story. Because only then can I see what's what and can I let this go. So, you know, even, even just a few days ago, I got seriously triggered by a member of my uh, family. And I thought afterwards, I, I had to sort of come out the other side because once you've been triggered, it's a nightmare. You know, you're just in that space. It's like someone makes you angry. You can't immediately figure it out. You just have to let it go. And then in hindsight, you can look back. And I thought, do I actually need to go into that state uh, when that happens? Like, yes, they're doing something that's very horrible. You know, anyone would be reasonably upset. But do I need to be, do I need to be affected in this way? And it wasn't until I could really understand, this has actually got absolutely nothing to do with you. You know, this is someone who's basically missing something and therefore missing something almost in their brain and therefore is unable to see things in a certain way it has actually nothing to do with you and when I could see that I thought oh and I'm reacting this way because you know of a certain reason to try and protect myself but actually it's causing me a lot of pain and they can't help it so I can actually change this but you need to have that level of understanding to actually really want to change on all levels consciously and subconsciously you need to see things in clarity otherwise you don't do that you know you just continue with those habits for the rest of your life sometimes they can really ruin your life and really you know totally control your life but you do have the power to change them you just need enough um, understanding and compulsion to do so and then so you can really understand, no, I do not need this behavior anymore. And then starts some reprogramming, because if you've been doing something for years and years and years, it's become a habit. So then We've you have got to the take synapses created around it. And this whole central nervous system is kind of adjusted to certain reactions, isn't it? Exactly. It's created a path in your brain. So now we're going to have to create a new one. So, you know, an analogy is, you know, you've, you've been looking at chocolate cake for years and your body has said, I want that. <laughs> That's good. Eat the cake. And you have to go, okay, actually, it's not good. You know, it's making me fat and it's making me a sugar addict. And I know it's telling me it's delicious, but I know I really understand now that if I spend a bit of time working on this, I will no longer crave that cake. And trust me, it does work like that because I have given up sugar. I have fallen back sometimes, but I've given up sugar and it's been so liberating. <laughs> it's been so liberating. I do not crave it at all. But that takes take some work. It's, uh, it's not easy at first because my body's actually telling me, no, that's good. I'm not looking at a smoothie or, you know, and going, 
yum <laughs> that's good so then becomes the, the the reprogramming but only with enough compulsion that to know that will i make that change um and and that's kind of what i want to do with loop busting i want people to see this is what's going on the, the reason you're doing this the reason you keep sabotaging yourself again and again and again and again is because you know whatever whatever the reason is so they can actually go right i don't need to do that anymore and that's that's where that healing comes yeah but it's, and, it's been a long journey. And, <laughs> it's not been easy. No, no. Well, none of these, none of these journeys are right. I mean, that's something I keep finding. You know, as I get older, I realise that um, life seems to be a lot of things. Things take time, basically, in the physical dimension. You know, you just have yeah. to. Healing takes time. Changes take time. Yeah, um, and when I say, you know, when I say that life's a bit of a game, it, it can sound very dismissive, and um, it can sound like you know i'm not appreciating the suffering because i i believe me i appreciate the suffering i have spent 50 percent of my life being suicidal and i appreciate the suffering <laughs> um but that doesn't mean i need to get attached to it or that any of us need to get attached to it you know we are here to experience and and for sure this seeing that seeing a day from suicidal to utter euphoria has given me a very very broad range of experiences <laughs> for which i am grateful for um and you know but i think one day i will wake up as we all will you know we will wake up and it's it's gone because it is yesterday's gone even our conversation three minutes ago is gone like this is all we ever have and you know once you know that then you're truly appreciating the present yeah that is true although i also i was just thinking about this today and reading this somewhere about how it's the, the past is also in the present right the past is living on in the present you know it's living on in our genes it's living on in our central nervous system it's living on in our energy so if you want it to because it's you you're the one that's holding it right so you can go right okay i'm gonna let go of that you know i thought today again it's funny i was out on my barefoot walk and i thought i think i'm ready to let go of this bipolar package that I've been carrying for a long time. I don't want it to be part. I mean, it's going to be, I'll keep it as part of my story for the bit that's useful to help other people because that's great. You know, if I can help other people, then that makes it, I mean, I don't want to say it makes it all worthwhile, but something wonderful has come out of it, but I don't need it as part of my narrative anymore. I don't need to carry that around. Um, and I can, I've got a choice about that. You know, how do I want to perceive? How, how do I want to perceive it? I can even the way I perceive my body. Like, okay, I perceive it as, you know, I'm 42 and I, I'm aging, I'm getting gray hair, whatever. I could look at it like that, but I don't have to. I can just be like, right, this is where I'm at. Where do I want to go? <laughs> this is where I'm at. That's the only thing I know really. The only thing you ever know is where you are at right now. That's it. I'm experiencing this now. It's the only bit of truth that is valid and I'd like to go in that direction. So I'm, I'm going to do that, you know, because right now that feels fun. <laughs> it feels yeah. exciting, yeah. inspiring. So I, that that's, I'm enjoying my now with those thoughts and that's how I'd like to live my life. So yeah, I don't know if that goes against what you're thinking. <laughs> oh, I, I, I very much, 
I very much believe when I, I, I try and you know live my life also from creating my like in the in the present creating my future with with things that inspire and that, that I'm envisage and so on. I guess I do have um, you know I, I I guess I have felt there have been times in my life where I've kind of tried to uh, escape my past maybe or avoid my past or something you know and and just um, focus on um, some kind of idealized uh, image and presence and future and so on. And more recently, I've really come to feel the importance of of really going into everything that you know, all my my lineage, my ancestry, my mm. own multi existential ancestry, and 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 kind of owning all of that, you know, and experiencing myself as creating out of that and bringing acceptance and healing to all of that to all that past yes no i totally respect that and um you know so so that is a choice of how you're wanting to deal with your now you know um and well this is the thing and this is another thing that's very difficult to put into words time time and past lives and um you know, there's a there's a lot I could say about that too. I don't know how much time we have. <laughs> well, yeah, I was just trying to think. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should wrap it up now. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Thanks so much. I mean, so Conscious Explorers. Anybody listening? If you're on Facebook, if you haven't joined yet, check out Conscious Explorers on Facebook. It's a really it's a really good group. Good resources. Really interesting people. Um, you know, some great discussions on and off when they happen. So I think yeah. Facebook groups, they go through ebbs and flows, don't they, about how active people are? Uh, part of that is me. Um, in the early days, I used to put a lot of energy into, you know, nurturing discussions, and it it just took such a lot of time out of my life. And yeah. I realised that if I don't say too much, if I just put an article without making a comment about it, it doesn't encourage discussions. And mm. as much as I love discussions, I, I only really do it now when it's something super meaningful to me because I just don't have the time and neither do I think it's great to be on Facebook all the time you know yeah, yeah. but now and again it is really wonderful and it has really created a community and, th- and we've literally had you know I said the other day I think we've had oh, at least 10,000 members in that group and probably more to be honest and 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 it's wonderful I meet people all around the world who've been in conscious explorers and you know it's just like-minded souls like you said that you know are passionate about these topics about consciousness and life after death and you know all the all the good stuff and yeah for that it's it's a beautiful tool so yeah and also yeah. people can find your website consciousexplorers.com right which has got a lot of videos and yes that needs a bit of work but i will do that <laughs> but yes that, that that's that's there at the moment and uh, yeah that's going to get a revamp um you know funnily yeah. enough all my obes and lucid dreams that were posted on there all stopped working they just wouldn't show up weirdly uh around the time that the the door closed uh i don't know if that's just a weird coincidence but um it's odd but anyway, I will I will compile those together. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think there'll be pretty amazing point. book, a pretty amazing book coming <laughs> at some point. And uh, and then Thank your you. music on YouTube. I, I was listening to some of your Gregorian chant with dubstep, dubstep <laughs> Gregorian chants before yeah. coming on. That was great. 
<laughs> thank oh, yeah, you. There's some, there's some great mixes here. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah, there's a lot of, lot more music coming out soon as well, and some uh, yeah, some music videos being made at the moment. So um, yeah, I I I try to always bring in. I do inevitably always bring in themes of consciousness. I I don't want to make them too in your face. <laughs> or even necessarily say much about it you know but it's there it's there yeah. in the intent and the energy and I, I think you you know people can feel that so if you're interested in that that that's deeply uh entrenched in all my music yeah 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 and no, i think it's very tangible yeah all right well thanks so much kaz oh it's we'll, such a pleasure uh, i hope we'll get to have another one of these me too. Thank you for taking the time and amazing to, to see you and talk to you in, uh, in a more <laughs> real way than, uh, than just online. Pleasure yeah. speaking with you. The music seeing us out is Kaz Coronel herself improvising on the piano. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kaz today. And if you did, it would be great if you can leave a five-star review for this episode on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. You can find more information, uh, all the contact details for Kaz, uh, on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com. And you'll also find there my blog and information and reviews of my book, Multidimensional Evolution, Personal Explorations of Consciousness. You can purchase that book in any bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get some practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, and I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I'm sending you my very best energies, and I'll leave you to enjoy Kaz on the piano.